0: Welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Today's podcast is sponsored by Sweet Spot Labs. Intimate dryness is one of the menopausal symptoms I get asked about most in my practice. And it's no wonder estrogen is to the vulva what collagen is to the face. As estrogen decreases, so does the natural moisture in your intimate skin, such as the labia and hair-bearing areas, which can lead to itching, burning, and increased sensitivity. The product I recommend to rescue intimate skin from this discomfort is Rescue Balm from Sweet Spot Labs. No joke. It's an ultra rich intimate moisturizer that is 100% naturally derived and packaged with active levels of collide oatmeal, zinc oxide, sweet almond oil to soothe and protect intimate skin. I not only love what's in it because it really works, but also what's not in it. So Sweet Spot Labs has been pioneering clean, intimate skincare since 2003. And they formulate without any common irritants, allergens, hormones, hormone disruptors, or yeast food sources. Rescue Bomb is free from water, preservatives, fragrance, silicones, propylene, glycol, steroids, hormones, parabens, glycerin, and even from poor clogging ingredients like coconut oil, just to name a few. And like all Sweet Spot Labs products, Rescue Balm is hypoallergenic and clinically proven by unbiased third party gynecologists and dermatologists to be non irritating on intimate skin, even with daily use. That's why I really, really feel comfortable recommending it to anyone and everyone, including me and even those with very sensitive skin. Visit Sweet Spot Labs. And use code Dr. Hirsch for 20% off your first order. That's S W E E T S P O D L A B S dot com and use code Dr. Hirsch for 20% off. Hi, my AOWs. I hope you guys are all doing really, really well. And it's crazy to see the end of the summer and officially launching into fall. As we launched into fall, I turned 40. And it was such a lovely birthday. I don't know about you, but actually, as I get older, I feel so much more confident in myself. I feel like I know myself so much better. I feel like I know my body so much better. And it's just a beautiful thing to step into the version of yourself that you always kind of looked up to thinking you were going to be and like realizing that you're getting there. (laughs) It always feels like you still have more to go. But we're probably the hardest, we're probably the harshest critics of ourselves. So I celebrated my 40th birthday, it was very lovely, I got to be with my sisters and one of my best friends, and my husband, we went out to dinner and he was uh, the only male of the group, but he he's used to hanging with girls, girly girls. And it was such a lovely time. Uh, so I posted in pictures over on Instagram. If you don't follow me, I'm at Heather Hirsch MD, and that's where I'm on all my platforms. The other cool thing that came out on my birthday was the cover of my book, and this is a pretty big deal. It means it officially has an image. It officially has a cover. It officially has you know a title in writing and a cover. Up oh, here comes my dog. You can hear her clicking in the background. That's her little paws. So. Unlock Your Menopause Type is officially coming out on June 6th. I'm pretty sure that's the launch day. 90, 92% positive that that's the launch day. And you can pre-order it already. Pre-orders are really helpful. So here's why pre-orders are helpful. I didn't know this until a few weeks ago. But pre-orders, and you may already know this, help bookstores know how much to stock, know how much to anticipate if the book's going to be a big hit and like totally sell out and super successful or the opposite. And so pre-orders are so helpful. And so if you were thinking about getting the book, uh, it's so amazing. It's so amazing. Uh, you can go ahead and pre-order it now. I'm going to put the link in the description for the podcast and soon you'll find the links to pre-order everywhere. Also on my Instagram and on my website, this book is so cool. So again, the titles Unlock Your Menopause Type, and there's six different types of menopause that I have kind of uncovered or basically phenotypes that I see over the years in clinic. And it was so much fun actually coming up with kind of different care plans and different things to think about and different ways to think about based on your type of menopause. It's actually a piece of content that I have specifically not been using anywhere on my socials, on Instagram, on my podcast, even on YouTube. So once the book comes out, we'll do like a lot more digging onto what I even mean by these types, how I came up with them. Um, And there's also a what we call DIY section. So part three of the book is all about how to, you know, kind of hone in on the symptom that really bothers you and how to treat it symptom by symptom. So you couldn't like imagine a better book. So anyways, the book cover came out on my birthday. I was so excited. So if you've seen posts about it or you're interested in pre-ordering, you can. And I can't wait to talk more about the book. Today's episode, we're going to talk about uh, how long to take hormone therapy for How long can you take hormone therapy? How long should you take hormone therapy? Does it depend when you started or if you stopped? And that's what I want to talk about today. It was a really good question brought to me by a patient and one that I have a pretty well-scripted answer for, but I realize it is a topic that is once you have you know, climbed the mountain, you found the good doctor, you've gotten your labs, you figured out, you know, that you're menopausal, that's your symptoms. You've gotten the hormone therapy, you've gotten the dose right and everything's good. Like, then what? Like, then what? And so my patients are like, I feel great. Now what? And so that's really what I wanna focus and hone in on today. And this isn't in my book, actually. I don't think so. So, you know, again, I'm really kind of, there's a whole chunk of content I have not been talking about. And it's just gonna be so incredible once that's all, you know, available to read and and things like that. All right, so how long to take hormone therapy for? Every time I do a grand round or a talk, you know, someone inevitably stands up in the back of the room and says, you know, Hey Dr. Hirsch, I have this eighty-year-old, and she will not get off her Premarin. I cannot pry it from her hands. I've been trying everything. You know what do you say to these patients? And I say, please leave her alone. Please leave her alone. I don't say it like that. I say, well, studies show, and we'll get into that. But actually, this is such an important question because. If if you're not on hormone therapy, I think this is still helpful to listen to because there is so many myths and misconceptions about women's health and about hormone therapy that if you have a friend or if you're a listener of the podcast, I think it's still really useful to know. So the North American Menopause Society, or NAMS for short, has a position statement that says there is no time limit to the use of hormone therapy specifically for women who start within. 10 years of menopause. All right, so they say there's no time limit. That's pretty cool. But what does that actually mean in real life? And why do we think that there used to be a time limit? All right, so let's go back to why we used to think there was a time limit. As I've mentioned before, when I first learned about hormone therapy in my residency, not my fellowship training, but my residency, which is what you do after medical school, the message was always, if you have to use hormone therapy, if you've tried everything else and nothing's works and she's still really symptomatic and you've got to do something, use the lowest, teeniest, tiniest dose for the shortest amount of time possible. That was the message. The shortest amount of time possible. Now contrast that with the fact that we know menopausal symptoms last on average five to seven years and more likely seven to 10 years and in 10% of the population, the rest of their postmenopausal life. So this shortest duration thing, where did this like minimalism come from? Well, in the 80s and 90s, hormone therapy was routinely given to women shortly after menopause. And what they found in those prospective studies, those studies going forward, that women actually had less cardiovascular disease. They lived longer, had improvements in bone health, quality of life, and several other important quality metrics. But when the women's health study came out, there was a lot of things that came out of that study that were, I guess, inappropriately extrapolated and placed into common practice. If you've never listened to my 20-year anniversary of the Women's Health Initiative, and you're just fascinated about women's health in general, I highly recommend listening to that. Probably a lot of pressured speech, but it's a couple episodes back. And it's really fascinating. In the women's health study, the, the key points that you need to know is that the average age of women entering the study was 62 and a half. And the age range of women was 51 to 79. And the majority had not been on hormone therapy. And they were looking to see if estrogen reduced basically uh, chronic diseases, for example, like heart disease, heart attacks, cancers, uh, diabetes, etc. So they used one medication called oral premarin or oral prempro if you had a uterus. And that's really important because actually if you have a uterus and you needed the progesterone, it was really uh, important because there were some differences if you took estrogen only versus estrogen and progesterone, mostly in terms of breast cancer risk. But we're going to save that for another day. Right now we're talking about how long can you take hormone therapy for and the rationality behind why people said for the shortest amount of time as possible. So when the study ended abruptly in 2002, and by study, I mean the estrogen and progesterone arm, the PremPro pro arm, because of an apparent increased risk of invasive breast cancer, they also lumped a bunch of stuff in there. It was like, oh, and you know, like strokes and cardiovascular disease, just like some other stuff that like, just, you know, like, right? <laughs> I know. I know I sound a little crazy. But the message was a little bit muddled and unclear of, well, did hormone therapy increase risk to of cardiovascular events and strokes. In 2007, later 2013, 2017, and 2020, results were adjudicated. And post hoc analysis actually demonstrated that the age of which you started and the age of your last menstrual period were really important. And so, what they found is that if you started within 10 years, you had actually reductions in cardiovascular disease. And that later studies showed if you continued it, your risk didn't increase when you turned 60 or when you turned 70 if you started within 10 years from your last menstrual period. Now, there's a difference in terms of if it's been 10 years since your last menstrual period when you start hormone therapy, and particularly 20 years since you last had your period and you start hormone therapy. But In the example of someone who is 50 years old at menopause and starts estrogen, and she's been on it for 10 years, there's no magical increased risk that happens because she turns 60. And there's a difference between someone who's, let's say, 65, and her last period was 15 years ago, and she wants to start hormone therapy. Let's think about this common sense-wise. When you're premenopausal and then into perimenopause, if you have that experience, some women don't because of surgical menopause, your body makes a lot of estrogen, and therefore your body sees a lot of estrogen. And the vessels or the endothelial lining, to be really fancy, in your vessels actually are very happy to have estrogen around. And these endothelial lining or vessels are in your big arteries and also in your coronary arteries, the ones that feed your heart. So estrogen, interestingly, is a vasodilator that means it helps to increase the volume or the diameter or some physics word of your endothelial lining and gets better blood flow. And it actually is somewhat anti-inflammatory. And therefore, that's why when you've been had estrogen around for many, 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 many decades. And then maybe one or two or three years passes without estrogen. And you reintroduce estrogen, your body's like, oh my old friend, come on back. Help me with these arteries. Give me a little bit of that good stuff, that nitric oxide that dilates my vessels. And that's why we probably see reductions in coronary vascular disease because the blood vessels that surround the heart uh, actually probably function a little bit better. I know, wild, because you've always been trained that estrogen is so bad for you. But that, the more you think about it, the more you realize that that just doesn't actually make any sense. We have estrogen our whole lives. So what's the difference between someone now who's maybe 15 years past their last menstrual period? Well, if it's been 15 years, your artery is kind of all like, okay, all right, you're, just, you're not coming back. Our old friend's not coming back. As we age, we're also more prone to plaque buildup in those vessels. As the plaque builds up, uh, when we introduce estrogen, after it's been, we think, 10 years, and there was a trial that actually demonstrated this. It's called the ELITE trial by uh, Dr. Howard Hodas in California. And if you're really nerdy, you know, I'm happy to go into more detail. But after 10 years, estrogen entry can be a little bit on the Pro inflammatory side. So, if it's a little bit pro inflammatory, estrogen's releasing these cytokines, basically these little messenger bombs. And what they could do is kind of loosen up some of that plaque that's building up in those arteries and pop it off. And when that happens, if it's big enough and if your other arteries have narrowed enough because of more plaque buildup somewhere else, it can cause a blockage. And that blockage is going to lead to something not good, something you don't want, right? OK, we know blockage in either coronary artery vessel is not good or anywhere else like our carotids or in our brains. That's, that's actually the pathophysiology of a, a stroke. So there's a difference between, you know, if it's been 10 years or 15 years or 20 years. Now, does that mean if it's been, you know, if you're out of that 10 year window, that's absolutely no. Well, no, because actually not everyone has a lot of plaque buildup. And there are things that we could do to use a surrogate marker to determine your status of health, besides for just guessing. Because even in the WHI, cardiovascular events were still rare. They weren't common. But of course, you know, the philosophy is do no harm. So we want to do no harm. But we need to balance do no harm with also doing no harm. If you need hormone therapy, you're really suffering. No one's treated you for years and years and years. What's the harm of not doing anything? There's harm in not doing anything. So that's sort of the basis of the timing. So if you've been on hormone therapy and you're 50 and all of a sudden you turn 60, your body's seen estrogen, been used to it. Your arteries have probably stayed nice and clean. It's probably or possibly reduced uh, plaque buildup you know, it's hard to say, you know, is there a preventative usage of hormone therapy? That's very kind of controversial. You can listen to my uh, other podcast on that, but nothing happens magically when the clock turns 60. It has to do with how naive your vessels are to seeing endogenous estrogen or estrogen that's not you know, made from your own ovaries. So if you're taking hormone therapy and you're doing really well on it, how do you decide what to do? So this is how I explain this to my patients. I say, you know, I always have two groups of patients. I have one side that's saying, never take these from my cold dead hands. And the other group of patients that's saying, I want to only be on these for a year or two or three. And then I want to come off after, you know, I'm getting over the worst of my symptoms. And then everyone else in between. And what's really cool is if you started within 10 years of menopause, which most women actually do because they typically, especially now in 2022, are more proactively seeking treatment around the time of symptoms. And they can find outlets on social media, podcasts, or doctors through NAMS or through doctors who may also just be not more knowledgeable. It's not always easy to do, but they can find them. And so most women have started within 10 years of their last menstrual period. And they can really choose and use something called shared decision-making. Just because you can stay on hormone therapy doesn't mean you have to be all in or all out. You can fall anywhere on the spectrum. So for my people who fall in the middle, I usually help them at their annual visit with me. And here's kind of what we go over. How are you feeling? How are you feeling about taking your hormone therapy? Are you up to date with your screenings like your mammogram, colonoscopy, Maybe bone density, maybe pap smear. Those aren't necessary for you to stay on hormone therapy, but they're helpful and it's a good time to ask those screening tests. Any new medical history? Are you on any new medications? Of course, it's important to review if the patient has had anything life altering. You know, any new big medical diagnoses, and sometimes that's reflected in new medications, any new family history, any new cancers in your family, any genetic testing or genetic screening you or anyone else has had, what's like your social history life, what are your stressors like, what's your sleep like, and then I really get into those symptoms, you know, how are you feeling, how's your mood, how's your sleep, how are the things that are important to you. When I first see patients, I almost always ask them their health priorities or the top three symptoms that are bothersome, and I always will go back to those in terms of, well, how is your libido? Sometimes it's that. How is your you know, hair? How are the how are the things that you came to me that you are really frustrated with? How are you? How are you feeling? And then I give my patients some room to explore if they want to stay on their medications or if they try want to try and wean off. If they've met all the criteria of you're up to date with your screening, you're still safe to be on hormone therapy, and you chooses to stay on it, then great. And what if she chooses she wants to come off or she's just not sure? Well, look, you can always wean off your hormone therapy. Sometimes my patients like to do this because it kind of serves as like a check-in of, do I need this medication anymore? Some people do and some people don't. And there's really only way to one way to find out and that's to come off your medication. Now, research shows that whether you stop cold turkey or you slowly wean down, it doesn't change the outcome of if symptoms are going to return. And there's also this terrible myth floating around that like, you're just going to have to suffer at some point. That's not true either. That is not true. I don't know where that came from, but it's quite a harmful message because it probably deters some people from starting hormone therapy when um, they otherwise would be excellent candidates to start because they're like, oh, well, it's just going to be awful at some point. That's really, really not true. So let's say a patient wants to come off. I do kind of tend to recommend weeding for one reason. One reason only is that sometimes when you wean down, you find that a lower dose actually controls your symptoms just as well as the dose you were on before. And then I have them wean and have them come off. And one of two things will happen. They'll say, I feel pretty good. I got over the worst of it. Maybe I have a symptom here or there or a hot flash here or there, but otherwise I'm feeling okay. Maybe I'll take a supplement like um, black cohosh or add some soy to my diet, take some magnesium at bedtime, use some supplements, and I'm good. So great. Or sometimes they wean off and they're like, what is this fresh owl? Absolutely not. And go right back on their hormone therapy. And that is okay. So, you know, what about this length of use of hormone therapy if you're a starter and a stopper? And I see a lot of starters and stoppers. That's totally, that's really common with with any medication, with an SSRI, with seasonal allergies. People start and stop medications all the time, birth control pills when you were in your 20s and then after your babies. And so it's not uncommon that that happens with hormone therapy also. And what we're looking for, again, for the starting and stopping is, you know, has it been 10 years where you've stopped and then you want to restart, right? So let's say someone was on hormone therapy. Here's a good example. Someone's on hormone therapy from age 50 to 63, and then she stops for two years and now she's 65. You know, the textbook's like, oh, well, 65 is where the risks start, or 60 and then particularly 70. I said that at the beginning of the show. So now you've got a 65-year-old, but you're thinking, well, she's actually only been off hormone therapy, really, for two, three years. She's taken it for 10 years. So again, her endothelial lining has seen estradiol. I would probably still favor transdermal just because someone who is 65, if I was restarting, I would still choose transdermal because the risks of blood clots are lower. And therefore, we think that that pro-inflammatory state that occurs after it's been some years since your last period or since you were last on hormone therapy in this example transdermal may be less pro-inflammatory and that's a broad generalization there's a lot more detail to that but let's just go transdermal is a little bit more you know less inflammatory and yes I would be fine putting her on that again because I'm looking at the years that she's been away from hormone therapy so if a person decides to stay on and on and on forever does their risk increase each year so this is a great question, and the answer to this, in my medical opinion, is actually no. At one point, your risk of breast cancer increases because of age and age alone, so that if you stopped your hormone therapy, that's not going to actually decrease your risk for breast cancer in general. The risk is one in eight in the general population, and age is the biggest risk factor. So being that you've been in your hormone therapy and you're doing well, does your risk increase with age? not particularly, and especially if you're on certain formulations, because different progestins have less risk. And I'll do a whole nother section on that because I'm presenting a paper at the menopause annual meeting in October on the use of prometrium or micronized natural progesterone as a part of hormone therapy, not increasing the risk of breast cancer. So there's a little hint about that. What about the risk of blood clots? Does that increase with age? Well, again, what we're really finding is that the, the age at which you are when you start is really much more indicative and important than the age that you are. And I know I've saved this to like the last part of this show, but the risk of clot is highest in the first six months. And then it goes back down. So if you haven't had a clot in the first six months, it's going to likely go back down to your baseline. And the risk is much lower if you're using transdermal versus oral. Does that mean that everyone should use transdermal? No. I strongly believe that there is a time and place for oral hormone therapy and that there is a place where people can have preference so long as they don't have a lot of other cardiovascular diseases or other medications that precludes them from using Hormone therapy orally, but that's again for another day. I think I have a great YouTube video on that oral hormone therapy versus the patch. It's really, really old. It's probably two years old now, but it's very popular and it goes into that a little bit more detail. Now, if you decide to come off hormone therapy and you're otherwise feeling well, I still care about your bones because you won't get that protection from the estrogen, which is a okay. We can still check your bones, monitor them. And uh, educate you so that you can keep your bones nice and healthy, your pelvic floor, specifically the vaginal health, um, you know, brain fog, sleep, moods, and your just cardiovascular health in general. Do you need to take hormone therapy to protect those things? No, you definitely don't. Um, But estrogen is really good for your bones and really great for the pelvic floor. Now, if you're coming off hormone therapy. I would almost always recommend vaginal estrogen. Why? Because you've been on hormone therapy and that's been likely helping the the, the the pelvic bowl, the vagina, the labia, the clitoris, the bladder, the urethra. And so I want to give you some local estrogen like a suppository, Vagifem, or a cream like Estrase to keep that tissue nice and healthy because while hot flashes can go away, vaginal dryness and genitourinary syndrome of menopause only is progressive. It doesn't get better over time because it relies heavily on estrogen for it to maintain really strong integrity. So I would probably prescribe vaginal estrogen. And then for things like you know your brain health and your sleep and your cardiovascular disease, all those things that your primary care doctors are doing, I also really focus on. I want to make sure you're still feeling sharp at work. You're getting seven to eight eight hours of sleep. I know that sounds like this for some people, it's impossible, but you know, that's the goal. Um, I want to also uh, make sure that you're getting your cholesterol and your A1C checked and your blood pressure checked. Lots of numbers, not just your weight and your BMI. That's just one or two of them and want to watch, you know, the rest of your cardiovascular health. There was a study that doesn't get a lot of attention, but it did show that there was actually some cardiovascular risks, um, like, uh, strokes that increased slightly after women stopped hormone therapy, which isn't so surprising. Um, but it also just means that you should be pretty thoughtful about when and how you stop hormone therapy. And then there's also the question of, uh, some of my younger patients, how long to take hormone therapy by younger, I mean premature menopause And early menopause, premature menopause, the definition of which is menopause before age 40 and early before age 45, we recommend you take hormone therapy up to the age of natural menopause, which is 51. In our BRCA patients right now, the research only goes to age 51. And so we're not necessarily sure if you can still extend it because of the increased risk potentially for cancer if you're a BRCA uh, 1 or 2 carrier without cancer. If you had premature menopause due to premature ovarian insufficiency or another autoimmune condition or surgical menopause, you can, should take it up to the age of 51, but then we are pretty confident you can take it after that if you choose so. And we go back to this whole conversation I've been having during this episode. So when you start, what type of menopause you had, wink, wink, is really important in actually helping you go down this decision tree and make really good decisions. And for my premature and early menopausal patients, we want you to take hormone therapy up to the age of 51 because without it, we know that it increases your risk for cardiovascular disease, bone loss, and symptoms that really affect your personal and your professional lives. So I hope this was really helpful for you to kind of see. And I want you to take this bird's eye view of the idea that actually, even though there's this myth that estrogen increases the risk of cardiovascular disease or stroke if you've been listening to the show for a long time you actually know that estrogen is a vasodilator now and that estrogen is actually anti-inflammatory particularly when your body's used to it and that explains why when hormone therapy is taken shortly after menopause it can reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease and it probably also has an effect on our metabolism since women who take hormone therapy actually have less diabetes and improvements in their insulin sensitivity i know it's fascinating. If you're fascinated by this, definitely check out my other podcast on should hormone therapy use for, you know, primary prevention of chronic disease. The answer in the textbook is no red underlying exclamation point circled and highlighted yellow, but there's a little or a lot more to the story. So you can definitely check that out if you're interested. But I hope this was helpful. You can definitely hit me up on my socials. I'm at Heather D. Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. I'd love to hear if you like the show. If you have other ideas, please, please message me. I don't always get back, but I always read them. And I'll see you guys next week for a brand new episode. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. Thank